you would, I'd like you to find in your Bibles the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 22, I have a special message. Um, it's in my series of favorite messages. Uh, I, I do have some favorite messages that the Lord's given me. This is definitely up there, right up there in the top 10. It's called Rebound. And uh, I'll tell you, if there's anything that, that Jesus and his great love and the power of the resurrection means to a Christian, it's the power to rebound from the failures of life. And so Jesus is with his disciples. It's just, uh, just hours before he's arrested and put on trial and crucified and offered up as the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. And with all of that heading at him, he is sitting uh, at, at a meal we call the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's sharing very critical, very important information. And the Bible gives us wonderful detail about the table conversation that's going on. One of the events that takes place is so important to you and I today. It's an encounter between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you all, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you are turned back, strengthen your brothers. That is a remarkable statement that Jesus made to Peter. He essentially said to Peter, and I want to uh, present this to you this morning, as by extension, he is saying it to you and I. He says, Satan has demanded permission to pick you apart, to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you and your faith will not fail. If I could break this down in a simple message to you and I today, I would say that Jesus is saying, you're going to fail, but your faith isn't. Let me say it again. You are going to fail, but your faith isn't. Hallelujah. When you're walking with Jesus, it's the ability to rebound from stumbles and sins that's the great secret to a victorious life. God has engineered the new creation to be resilient through the ups and downs of life, giving us a faith that presses victoriously, not through the temptations of life only, but through the failures of life. We have a faith that's designed not just to avoid temptation, but to rebound after we have failed in the face of temptation. God's strategy in your life doesn't depend on you never falling down, but on you never staying down. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. You know, the proof that Jesus is working in you is manifest in the Redeemer's ability to lead you triumphantly back to your feet. Not just to keep you from falling down, but it's when the Redeemer puts you back up and puts you back into the race. That's when the evidence that Jesus is working in your life is at its strongest. Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 15, but when this perishable nature has put on what is imperishable and this mortality 
has put on immortality, then the words of the scripture will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Just what exactly did Jesus take back from Satan when he plundered the grave? What was it that he snatched out of the devil's hand when he rose victoriously? I suggest to you this morning that Jesus took away Satan's ability to end you with death. And I'm not talking about your physical death. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. Many of you have died hundreds of times throughout your life. Small deaths and large deaths. The death of a vision, the death of an effort, the death of a promise that I'm never going to do that again. The death of I will be faithful. And we fall short. We set goals for ourselves, objectives. We fall short. Those are little deaths. And what Jesus took away from Satan when he plundered the grave was Satan's ability to end you with one death, with death to put you away. And Jesus did this by installing his own deathless faith in you. I've prayed for you. You're going to fail, but your faith isn't going to fail. Hallelujah. Jesus installed his faith in you. And it knows resurrection. Let me say it again. Jesus installed his faith in you, and he rode that faith from the tomb to the throne. The faith that Jesus put in you is well acquainted with resurrection. It is one non-stop, inconquerable rebound. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You have a death in you that knows, uh, uh, excuse me, a faith in you that knows resurrection. And the reason you are unconquerable to Satan isn't because that he can't kill you with mistakes and failures and sins, but because you won't stay dead. How many of you, you don't have to confess any of it, it's between you and God, but how many of you have died at the hands of your own sin? How many of you have fallen short? How many of you made mistakes? Mistakes that would, without God, be life-canceling mistakes. That would have taken you out, ended your marriage, ended your endeavors, killed and slew your confidence. But glory to God, you're unconquerable to Satan because you won't stay dead. Satan will kill the church a thousand times before Jesus returned. Mark my words, you have to only study history to find out that Satan has run the church through and left it dying thousands of times. And it's going to happen a lot more between now and when Jesus comes. But I want you to know that we're like zombies to the devil. <laughs> Hallelujah. He keeps knocking us down, but he can't take us out. He can't kill us because we're already dead. We are dead to the fear of death. 
We are dead to the terminality of death. We have been separated from the grave victoriously. So when we sin, when we fail, when we fall, when we fall short, when we make mistakes, there's a faith in you and I that will resurrect us as surely as it brought Jesus out of that tomb. Somebody say, praise God, hallelujah. God sent Ezekiel to go call forth his army from the valley of dry bones. What was the material God used to assemble his great victorious army? Men and women that were already dead, their bones bleached and strewn and broken apart and separated on the valley of dry bones floor. God prophetically assembled them, brought them back together, breathed the breath of life in them and said, stand up on your feet. And they stood up an exceeding great army. You can't kill a dead army. Somebody listen to me this morning. Hallelujah. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Jesus said, and your faith won't fail. He didn't say you're not going to fail. In fact, he told him you're going to fail. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Hallelujah. Jesus isn't just God of your victories. He's Lord of your rebound. That's when he really shows up powerfully in our life. In Psalm 3 and verse 3, one of my favorite verses, when I'm up in the front praying and worshiping God, you hear it out of my mouth constantly because I never get tired of it. The revelation of it has permeated my being. And it goes like this. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Why does God have to lift my head? Because I allow myself in situations in life where that head gets lowered. Lowered in shame, lowered in despondency, lowered in discouragement. Because I've made a mistake or I've fallen short or I've just become undisciplined. And not kept myself filled with his life, filled with his power. Allow myself to be distracted. Any one of these things, whether small or large, can be used to the enemy to try to sow death. Death of that wonderful emotion that's lifted us up. Death of the spirit and the anointing operating within us. Death of the vision or the prophetic word that God has given us. Sometimes a slow death, sometimes a fast death. But you know what? You can't defeat someone who won't stay dead, who keeps getting up again. He is the glory and the lifter of my head. And in the New English translation, the phrase lifter of my head is translated the one who restores me. Lord, you are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who restores me. As a child of God, if you won't stay dead, you can never be defeated. That really is the secret of victorious longevity. If you won't stay dead, you cannot be defeated. Listen, your made-up mind to rebound from mistakes and failures is the devil's worst nightmare. I believe the devil does everything he can to cause you to forget that you have a rebound in your faith. To make you think that you have got to hang on like it was your last chance 
to that last battle that you went through and somehow try to eke from it or strain from it or, or resurrect out of it. Go back, change it. But we're not called to go back. We're called to move forward. Amen. And as we move forward from victory to victory, from glory to glory is changing us, those mountaintops all have valleys in between the peaks. And those valleys are there to remind us that God has called us to escape out of our failures and escape out of our shortcomings. You don't have three do-overs, but the Lord who said, you shall forgive your brother seven times 70 in a day, gave us some idea of how often God plans on forgiving you and I. Come on. Somebody who's walked with Jesus at least a day or two ought to be saying amen. Praise the Lord right about now. If you keep taking your father's hand and rising from your shortcomings, Satan can never win against you. <coughs> Basketball teams that, uh, that always put their efforts into winning by using great shooters never become champions. And the reason is, is that no matter how good their shooters are, there's always an opponent that's equally good at knocking your ball away from the net. And so what is the secret to being a champion? One who's going to cross the finish line victoriously. It's called rebound. The ability when you've missed the shot to go up and recapture control of the ball. It's ball control. It's not all shooting. You're disappointed. You're discouraged when you take a shot and you miss. And the devil's right there to try to, to try to be the announcer at the ringside and say, they missed that shot. They're, this, they're, they're losers. They're never going to make it. But what God knows is that life isn't about one shot or two or ten. It's about ball control. And that means the ability to rebound, the ability to go up and get that ball back out of the enemy's hand and go up again. Your father's the coach. He says you've got eternal do-overs. How do you lose? <laughs> really? How do you lose? One of the things most remarkable about this scripture is the fact that Jesus said, Satan has demanded to pick you apart, to sift you like wheat, to pick you apart. That always bothered me, that Jesus told Peter, Satan has demanded to, I thought, well, Jesus is here. How'd the devil get that kind of permission? Gee, gee, I'm running with Jesus. He's right here. I'm here. How, how did the devil get that permission? It's like when you get that prophetic word from the Lord. The scariest prophecy, the scariest word from God to come to you is, Behold, I am the Lord. Fear not. Well, if you're the Lord, why, why would I need to fear? Why does God have to tell me fear not? Because I'm the Lord and I'm telling you, Something's about to happen, but fear not. Hallelujah. In this life, every day we should hear, fear not, because this is a fearful world, and we are earthen vessels. We are prone to cracking, breaking. We are prone to falling apart. The Lord says, fear not. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has demanded to have you to sift you, to pick you apart like wheat. How is it, really, how is it that Satan, 
was able to get past Jesus and obtain permission to pick Peter apart. The answer can be found in Jesus' comment about his own temptation as the enemy came after him. And in John 14, when Jesus went to the Last Supper and had that meal that I was talking to you about, and I had this conversation encounter with Peter, he had said earlier in the evening, the prince of this world, Satan, is coming, and he has nothing in me. The devil is coming, and he has nothing in me. Jesus, almighty God, said Satan's coming for me. Listen to me. If Satan's coming for Jesus, then Satan's coming for you. Jesus didn't say the devil can't come near. He can't tempt me. He can't buffet me. He can't put me in a trial. He can't try me. He can't pressure me. He said he's coming. But in me, none of his stuff is in there. I don't harbor any of his stuff. He has no power over me. Listen, Jesus' answer to Peter is, the devil's coming. The devil's coming. And the his stuff in your life is going to take you down. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. Every time you and I as a believer fall short, fall down, make mistakes, it's because some of the world is in us. Period. There's no other explanation. It has nothing to do with God not loving you. It has really not, not even a lot to do with you not loving God. It is, and I don't mean to say this to give you an excuse, but it is an occupational hazard of walking through this world. We pick stuff up like Lent. We've got to constantly clean ourselves. God knows that. He knows that. And he said to Peter, I've prayed for you. Your faith will not fail. I have not ordained that you never make mistakes. I've ordained a faith in you that comes from me. I'm going to give it to you, and it's going to carry you across the finish line. Hallelujah. And so that answer is found when Jesus said, Satan's coming. The inescapable fact of life is the devil is coming. The devil is coming. He's coming to your house. He's coming to your life. He's coming to your work. He's coming at you. And like those winnowing winds that swept across the threshing floor where the wheat was threshed, because that was the analogy that Jesus used, that the devil has demanded to be able to thresh you like wheat. The visual picture that he gives Peter is that the, the, the farmer who has harvested the wheat brings it in, but there's a stalk and there's these chaff, these shells outside, and the precious wheat on the inside needs to be separated. And so he gets a winnowing fork and they pound that wheat on the floor of the threshing floor, and they throw it up in the air, and the winds blow away the lighter chaff, like little flakes. They go blowing away in the wind, and the heavier content, the, the wheat on the inside, falls down to the floor. And the process of that wind blowing the chaff away after the threshing is what separates the chaff from the wheat, what separates what's in us that the enemy can use from what he can't touch, the new creation on the inside. And so like that winnowing wind across the floor of the threshing floor, God, listen to me, 
God cannot protect the chaff of worldliness that's in us from being revealed by Satan's pressures. He couldn't protect it in Peter, and he's not going to protect it in you and I. The chaff in our life, that is simply the things of the world, are exposed. And the winnowing's going to take place and the winds are going to blow. But your deliverance, your freedom is the very fact that you are going to go through trial. The very fact that you are going to be beaten and thrown into the air and that wind's going to blow the chaff away. It will separate from you so that you'll be able to say many times in your life, the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. Jesus said, I've prayed for you and your faith will not fail. A great example of this is found in Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about God in these last days, and it says, His voice shook the earth back then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things or earthly things, material things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Everyone say, may remain. may remain. God's Word states with sobering clarity that all things that can be shaken will be shaken. All things in you and I that can be shaken, mark me, they will be shaken. But hear what God said as He went on. After He said, those things which could be shaken, will be shaken. He went on to say, and the removal of those things which can be shaken is going to lead to those things which remain, being separated out. You see, the devil thought he was picking Peter apart, but Jesus said he was simply, he was simply sifting you like wheat. He meant it for evil, but if you cling to the faith that I've put in you, I'll make sure that the process that was meant to kill you is only going to lead to your getting back up and resurrecting. Somebody say, praise the Lord, if you've gone through that process, yes, you've gone through it a hundred times in your life, if not more. Afterwards, those things which cannot be shaken will remain. God has put a faith in you that's destined to rebound and to remain. And Satan can't defeat it. There's nothing he can do against the faith that God has installed in you. Like I said, Satan thinks he's picking you apart, but Jesus said he's sifting you and, and bringing the wheat out. The chaff in you is the only thing that the devil could blow away. Let me say it again. The chaff in you is the only thing that the devil can blow away in your life. He has no weapon to defeat the wheat. The wheat is ordained to remain. I want to bring out one other point as we kind of bring this to the last, last point that I want to close on. is the fact that Jesus said, I have already prayed for you. Listen. Listen to our intercessor, whoever lives to pray and intercede for us. He said to Peter, before the devil has even come to him, he told him, he said, he's coming, but I have already prayed for you, your faith will not fail. 
Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. Hallelujah. Because God has provided your rebound before you even, even ever stumble or miss your shot. Before you go up and make the layup and miss, God has already ordained your rebound. You're going to recover under that net that you missed. You're going to get back up off that floor that he's knocked you down on. The Lord has prayed for your faith, and the rebound is already there in your faith. Come on, somebody, say praise the Lord. So hold on to your faith in God. Turn to Jesus. Take his hand. Take your tears. Cry them out at the altar. Um, and uh, reach out. Hold on with your faith. And your faith will hold on to you. The last thing I want to bring out is that Jesus told Peter, he said, when you've rebounded, strengthen your brethren. Let me say it again. Jesus said, when you've rebounded, strengthen your brethren. There's nobody more powerful before sinners than a rebounded Christian who's just come up from a failure. Grace is thick like honey in them. The revelation of the goodness of God is fresh and it just oozes from them. They are filled with rebound. They are filled with resurrection. We get dull when it's just nothing but victory all the time. We get dull when we never make mistakes. We become self-deceived. There's something about the, the nature in us living in this world that is self-deceiving. And, and I don't care how vigilant any of us are. The temptation, the, 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 uh, the tendency is self-reliance. And the things of the world creep in. But I'll tell you, you're never more in touch with God's love and his grace than when, you're, when the calluses have been peeled off, the chaff has been peeled off, and that tender heart, that tender skin over your heart is in touch with the grace of God. When you have rebounded, strengthen others. You know, the devil knows, he does know, that every time you rebound from stumbling in a trial, there's a good chance that you will come up stronger in the grace of God and run out and strengthen somebody else. He knows that every time he messes with you, there's a chance this could cost him more than what he's bargained for. But he has a weapon that he uses that he believes, and it has worked throughout history time and time again. And it's called condemnation. Because after the devil has engineered your fall, your stumbling, he then throws a parting curse over his shoulder upon you called condemnation in hopes that it'll prevent your rebound from being used to encourage anybody else. Oh, you'll rebound, but you'll keep it to yourself. You'll rebound, but your confidence that God wants to use you will stay secret, and you won't go out and be bold and lift up others. God wants to use what was worst in your life for his glory. When you come back, when you rebound, 
strengthen your brethren. Let me tell you about the church that I believe is going to have an impact in this, as Pastor Joe brought out, this hostile world. And the world has always been hostile. But we in America are experiencing the rise of great hostility against the gospel. We call it in the Bible the spirit of Antichrist, and it's rising up. But I'll tell you, there is no weapon, no weapon in the Antichrist's arsenal, in the devil's arsenal, none that can defeat the rebound of faith. If we will hear the Lord say, when you get back up, go strengthen somebody. That is a multiplying army. You talk about an enlistment, enlistment program, an enlistment campaign, you want to see people come to Jesus, every time your weakness causes you to stumble, you get up and rebound in the faith of God and then determine, determine, I'm going to make this worth more than just my getting back up. I'm going to go encourage others. And I'll tell you, the church will break open. That revival we've been prophesying about may never come if we don't do this. If we don't hear what the Lord said to Peter at the Last Supper, he, I really believe he was not just speaking to Peter, he was speaking to all of us. In fact, when you really study in the original scriptures when he said, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, he was talking to Peter, the language in there is really you all. He wasn't just talking to Peter, he was talking to all of them. But he was specifying Peter for the moment. He is talking to us today and he's saying, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. But if you really want to be an overcomer, one who brings encouragement and resurrection to others, then jump back on your feet and go find somebody to encourage. Go strengthen somebody else. Share this thing. Don't keep it under a basket. Don't hide it under your bed. Somebody say praise the Lord. Well, I could pound this nail all morning and even get myself excited doing it, but I've gotten the point across, and I want you to close your Bible and shut off your devices. And by the way, how many of you brought the B-I-B-L-E with you this morning? Glory to God. Woo! Look at them. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So, Dr. Joe, we're, we're bringing the Bible back. We're bringing the Bible back. I know that uh, everybody's into the cell phones and, and everything, and we can conceal the fact, you know, that we're not believers. But those Bibles are going to, we're going to bring them back. They're going to be on the dashboard of the car, so ladies can put them in the cozies with the ruffles and everything. Two or three of them on the back, big old Schofields and, you know, the giant ones. But I believe we're going to see Christians with the Bible tucked under their arm again. Hallelujah. Walking out in public saying, go ahead, say something. Think something. They think it anyway. It doesn't matter. So that you might as well be prepared to say, I love Jesus and I love his word. And then when they accuse you and say, you're just a bunch of legalists. You just use the Bible to beat people over the head. Just say, well, you know what? I know that has happened. And I know a lot of people have done that. And I may have done it a time or two at, and I'm sorry for it, but I'm not here to beat anybody over the head. This is the word of eternal life. And the one who gave us this word loves you. And he gave his life for you. And begin to share the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So we're bringing the Bible back. I'm encouraging everybody, bring your Bibles to church. Get used 
again to the fact that the well-dressed man and woman of the 21st century is not fully accessorized until they have their B-I-B-L-E tucked strategically under their arm. And when you sit at Starbucks, perhaps you can whip it out. Let those fancy little tassels hang out. I'll bring my old one again next week. I've got about five of them tattered. Just throw them out there in Starbucks and just set, set it there with your frappuccino and your latte and be available for God. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand with me. Okay, so how, how do we resolve in an altar call from this message, rebound? Well, the simplest and the obvious uh, answer is, first of all, we've all made mistakes. You may have made a mis mistake. You may have fallen short. You know, you may have let yourself down or failed in some way, even this morning before you came to church. Maybe you're dragging a heavy weight of You've had a rough week. You really haven't walked in the victory. You've made mistakes. Let me tell you, the, and the devil's all over you like a five-legged mountain lion. He's just talking to you. You know you're not going to make it. What made you think that you could really get up and be victorious? You're, you know, and he's trying to separate you. He's trying to separate you from the victorious faith that Jesus has put in you. I'm telling you this morning that God who loves each and every one of us without respect of persons, God has put the same love and faith in you that he put in Peter and Paul and everybody else. All you have to do is just rely on it. Use it. Don't give it up. Cling to it. Say, yep, I blew it. Yes, I made a mistake. You can't go back and put the genie back in the bottle. You can't gather the spilled milk back up again. What is God expecting? Go to the cross, go to Jesus, and say, Lord, 2,000 years ago, you already paid for my mistakes. Thank you for the blood, forgive me my sins, put me back on my feet, and I'm telling you, the demons will scream bloody murder. They will howl, they will scream. It's not that simple, you can't do that. Who are they to tell you what the blood of Jesus can do? Don't let the devil, don't let people don't let your own conscience that might be just tweaked a little bit towards legalism tell you that it's as simple as breaking your heart before God. Yes, of course. There's the risk that people will take a message like this and say, well, you know, he's giving people a license to sin. Well, let me tell you two things. Three, number one, people sin without a license. You don't have to give them one. Uh, number two, the reality is, is that true born-again Christians really don't like sinning. It hurts them. They're born again. Their spirit is saved. And it's discouraging. It's that flesh that the enemy plays with, those carnal thoughts in our mind. And uh, those things and those failures just bring us back to Jesus. Let him take you. Don't ever let your failures separate you from God. Make them drive you to Jesus. You'll be a better person. That's the whole process. And then, then the final thing is be at peace knowing that Jesus has put
put you in the cradle of his faith that he put in you, and that's going to carry you across the finish line. Your faith will not fail. Hallelujah. So I'd like to just have us take a moment collectively pray, but individually think of that area in your life where you need that rebound. And I want you to claim it. I want you to make it personal, take hold of it, say, I shall rebound. Now, Father, I pray, as each of us are taking these moments to come before you, we are a redeemed people whose covenant with you is an eternal, everlasting covenant. That covenant cannot be broken. I pray, Father, that the rebounding faith, the faith that is founded and rooted in your wonderful love, your love for us, Father, that that faith will rise up within each person praying right now. And they'll see that rebound. They'll go back up. And by your grace, they'll recover. Praise the Lord. Father God, I come against and cast down every voice that is screaming in people's heads this morning. But you've done this a thousand times. You've been to this altar a thousand times. You've made this mistake a thousand times. When the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of your future. Heaven is your home. God is your father. And that God does not consult the devil when it comes to his children. You are his. You're his child. Take his hand. You're going to do better. You're going to be better. Your flesh may continue to be weak, but your faith will grow stronger. Hallelujah. And in the name of Jesus, you're going to get there. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Praise the Lord.